0: You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Today's scripture reading is uh, Malachi 1, 6 through 14 from the English Standard Version. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another Sunday that we can gather here together. And we thank you for the way that you are working in this congregation and, uh, and in the way that you are providing for Enclave and for, for the individuals that attend here and for the, for the fr- uh, friendship and the fellowship that we can, we can see in these various groups that we have throughout the week from book studies to villages to community uh, projects in the yard and such. Um, We're humbled to to be a part of that. And and we pray now, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and and hearts that are prepared for this message today. I pray that you would find our offering to be pure, um, that you would root out those things that are corrupt in us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, most of all, for his death and resurrection on our behalf. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
1: Thank you, um, Elin. Good morning to all of you. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the topic of half-hearted worship, the problem of half-hearted worship. And I think a lot of you would agree with me that whatever kind of problem that you have, a lot of times it's a little bit deeper than what we first realize. Like if you have a physical problem, or a psychological problem, or even a spiritual problem, it can go deep, right? And it's important, therefore, that we would take it up by the root. Like we address problems at the root of the problem. If you have a weed in your garden, you wanna get it out by the root because of what it does to the rest of of the garden and it it can no longer be an issue. That's the only way that we can have like a lasting solution to the problems that we have in any of those arenas. So like for example, like a good doctor knows that he has to address the cause Of a symptom, he has to do more than just address the symptom itself. Like some of you saw um, Brett last week. Brett and I have been buddies for almost a decade now. We have been in and out of, of small groups. And I remember just before he learned about his cancer, we were in a small group and we were praying about his back pain. He had back pain. And so he went to the chiropractor and he was just, he kept on having back pain. But what they learned as he went to another doctor and did other tests and other things like that, that the, that the cause of his back pain was actually cancer. Now, can you imagine if we just kept only addressing the symptom of his back pain? Like, we, would, we wouldn't have bread. But, but thankfully, he went through the chemotherapy, everything that he needed to address the cause of the symptoms that he was experiencing. So we see that principle like in the physical realm where we have to address the root issue. Right? We also see it in like the counseling realm or the psychological realm. Oftentimes, when if you're a good counselor, you know that when people come into your counseling room, that the presenting problem, right, isn't always the root problem. In fact, it's very rarely the root problem, right? So you may come in because, all right, I'm addicted to this substance or I'm addicted to this behavior. I have this relational issue, right? But there, it, that's you just didn't end up there, right? Like, there was a process that you got to to get there, right? And and usually there's some issue back here that needs to be addressed. There's, like, the root of the problem that has led to the presenting problem that you now have. So we see that truth there in that realm as well. But also in the spiritual realm, we see this truth happen. In in the New Testament, it'll often talk about fruit, right? So our God-honoring behavior are God dishonoring behavior? Those are fruit that are born out of our heart. So, those fruit tell you something about a deeper issue with regard to your heart and your relationship uh, to, to God. And all of this is going to become important today as we look at some God dishonoring behavior that the children of Israel were engaging in during the time of Malachi. Now, we have said before that Malachi was written to some Israelites who were coming out of their Babylonian captivity back into the land of Israel, and they have set up shop in Jerusalem. They have rebuilt the temple. They're offering sacrifices now. But on top of that, some wrong ideas about God had begun to crept crept into their minds and in, in their hearts. And Malachi is written to address some of those wrong ideas through six disputes that we've been talking about, where God brings a truth claim, or in this case, he brings a charge, and then he defends that truth claim or charge, and all while the children of Israel are disputing these truth claims. Now, we sort of camped out for a little bit, a little bit longer than I thought we would, actually, on that first dispute. And part of the reason for that is because it's so foundational to the whole book. And in the first dispute, God's truth claim that he brings forward to the children of Israel is to say, I love you. I love you with a covenant love, a love based on promises with the expectation of of loyalty, right? Like a marriage. He says, I love you. And then the children of Israel, they say, what? Like, what? No way. How have you loved us? Right? And then remember, God says, well, remember when I came against those who opposed you in the Edomites, Right? And, and we kind of talked about how that was an interesting sort of answer to their, their question. It kind of reminds me of like, you can almost imagine the scenario where a husband says to a wife, I love you. And she says, how have you loved me? And she says, well, remember when that guy broke into the house and, and he tried to harm you and I fought him off? Right? That, that's basically the kind of argument Yahweh is making with the children of Israel in the first dispute. But today we look at the second dispute. And now the truth claim is actually a charge that Yahweh is bringing against the the people of Israel. Just like when he said, uh, you know, the first truth claim is, I love you. Like the flip side of that is he's saying to the children of Israel, you despise me. I love you, but you despise me. And and the children of Israel say, how have we done that? And he says, well, just look at your half-hearted worship. So we're going to look at half-hearted worship both as the presenting problem in this second dispute, but then also as a symptom of a deeper issue, and then we'll kind of try to answer the question, okay, what's the solution to half-hearted worship? So let's first think about the presenting problem of half-hearted worship, and we're going to kind of go through some of the verses that Elin read uh, to us. And uh, not all of them, but just make some comments here and there to sort of build a foundation on which we'll build. So beginning in verse 6, it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. So Yahweh begins with a a, a premise that they can both agree on. Like, he he says to them basically, Hey, you know how there are hierarchical relationships in, in the world where there's this expectation of honor and respect? Yes, yes. I mean, maybe that's hard for us as modern people, but for them, they're like, oh, yeah, that's right, right? And then, and then he says, okay, now that is similar to the relationship that I have with you, right? And on the basis of that, I'm going to bring this charge. And here's, here's what he says. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And he was a father, Exodus 4.22. He's a father to Israel, right? If I'm a father, where's my honor, then uh, it goes on to say, and if I'm a master, which he is, where is my fear? Or you could read that, where, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. So that's the charge. You despise my name. Then you have the rebuttal from the Israelites, and they say, but you say, how have we despised your name? Now Yahweh, so it's almost like this courtroom right? He's going to bring evidence into the court regarding this charge that he's making. He goes on to say, by offering polluted food upon my altar, right? And and then Israel asks for further explanation. But you say, how have we polluted you? Yahweh goes on to explain, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Now, I doubt it could be that they were actually saying that, but, but more likely He's mainly talking about through their actions, they're saying this. And then he goes on to explain the actions that they're taking in verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And then skipping down to verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. This is so tiring for you to bring all this up. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering, Yahweh says. And then skipping down to verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. So these defective sacrifices, they're the evidence that they despise his name. Now, who specifically is Yahweh laying this charge against in the text? The priests. So it's kind of like in general to everybody, because uh, in this kind of sacrificial system, the offerer would bring the animal, right? The children of Israel brought the animal, but then the priests are the ones who accept it. Right? Again, in verse 6, It says, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. So we're talking about the Levitical priesthood. Okay. Now, what was the role of the Levitical priest during the time of Malachi and throughout the Old Testament? Right. We have kind of like a summary statement in Deuteronomy 33, verse 10 where it says, they, so we're talking about the Levites in this passage, they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. So they have two primary duties. They're supposed to teach the people of God regarding God's laws. That's one thing that they do. But the other thing that they do is in the temple, they, they offer incense offerings and they offer Burnt offerings, those two things. So what that means is that ultimately it's the priests who are the ones responsible or liable for these defective offerings that are, are taking place. So in other words, they're the ones who are supposed to instruct the people about what an acceptable offer is. And then they're the ones who are to determine whether the offering that is being brought, whether it is acceptable or not. So part of the problem that's going on is that the priests aren't doing their job. Now, did they see it that way? No, they, they don't see it that way. They saw the whole thing. They're getting tired of the whole system. What weariness this is, is what they say in, in verse 13. So they thought that the problem wasn't so much what they were doing, but what Yahweh was requiring. That's where they thought the problem was. So here we have a situation where there's, there's worn-out priests who don't, because by the way, they are offering sacrifices all the time. Sometimes in the morning, in, in, in the evening. So they're offering all these sacrifices, and they're worn out, and they don't see the point behind the sacrifices, and consequently then they are allowing defective sacrifices to come in. That's, that's sort of like the presenting problem that's going on in, in this passage. Now, if we're honest, we, like, if we think of this as a counseling room where we go and meet with the wonderful counselor, God, who heals us, like, we come into this room with very similar presenting problems, or I'll speak for myself, right? Right? you come i come into the room with similar presenting problems like i mean i don't know about you guys but i don't offer animal sacrifices anymore right i never offered animal sacrifices we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore right but you can you can get worn out you get worn out and you begin to wonder is is it really worth following god is it really worth all this sacrifice is it really worth going against the constant stream of everybody else is this really worth it right and we haven't totally given up on religion i mean i mean here we are right like we're we we came right but we're just sort of like we're we're kind of tired and we're kind of half-hearted about it and i think the important thing to recognize right now is to say like that that right there is just a symptom of a deeper issue, both for them and for us. It's a symptom of a deeper issue. and That's what I want to talk about. Second, this deeper issue. When we think about these defective offerings, one of the things that's going on is that it's disrespectful to God for a couple of reasons. One way in which it's disrespectful to God is that it goes against what God had explicitly told them. So, like, if you look in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3, or Leviticus chapter 1, verse 10, God had told them that when they bring a burnt offering, right, that it had, whether it was from the the herd or from the flock, it had to be a male without blemish. He told them that. And then he goes on to repeat himself, basically, in Leviticus chapter 22, and there beginning in verse 20, we read, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And then skipping down to verse 22, animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. So the people of God, they know that. They actually, now it's possible, right? Like that, okay, that was in the law, but we don't know about it. But how do we know that they know about it? Because they snort at it. Verse 13. And that's an idiom just meaning, like, they turn their nose up. They're, like, they're rolling their eyes at this, like, oh, my, he's talking about animals with blemishes again. How is this important? Right? And they're rolling their eyes because they don't understand the, the importance. And then on top of that, they have animals at their house that fit the description, that fit the requirement. They have animals that are without blemish, and they vow, they promise that they're going to bring them, and then instead of bringing them, they bring defective animals instead. So God's not even asking them to bring something that they don't have. They have those animals, right? And God, even in the law, he makes provision for even the poor. So let's say you're so poor, You're poor, you don't have a ram. You don't have, like, the the kind of offering that you need to bring. He provided, You're like, okay, well, then bring a pigeon or bring two turtle doves. Like, he has these provisions even if you don't have it, right? And they know what's required, but they say, ah, you know what? That's not so important to me, right? And so it's disrespectful in the sense that they went against what God was saying. But it's also disrespectful in the sense that it doesn't fit with who God is, who God was to them, right? To them, he is a father and a master, right? But what they are offering doesn't even fit, it wouldn't be a good gift even if he was a government official. That's what he says in verse eight. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? So it doesn't fit with who he is to them and it doesn't fit with who he will be to the nations, right? In the future, God is going to be seen as great throughout the whole world. Not that he's going to become great, but he's going to be finally be recognized for who he is as great. And that's what he gets at in verse 11, when he says, from the rising of the sun to the setting, that means like the whole world, the whole world, my name or my reputation will be great among the nations and in every place. Incense will be offered to my name, to a pure, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So these sacrifices, these defective sacrifices, they don't match who he is, and they don't match where history is heading, where God's plan is. They're not coming into alignment with who God is or with God's plan. And so you can say that the defective offerings that they are giving, right, they, they are disrespectful in all of those ways. But on top of that, it points to a deeper heart problem. Because remember what the charge is. The sacrifices that they are making, the defective sacrifices they are making, are only the symptom... That shows you what the greater disease is. That they despise Yahweh's name. They they don't think that his reputation is important, verse 6. In fact, they are resentful of Yahweh's commands. They just don't see the point of all of this. And that kind of points us back to the first dispute, doesn't it? Because it sort of makes sense. Would you be excited... About offering the best of your flock, the best of your herd, to a God that doesn't even love you? You would say that, how wearisome, especially if he puts like all these qualifiers on it. It can't have any blemish. has to be the best one. And he doesn't even love you? I mean, that's the whole point of the first dispute, is to say, but I do love you. Right, so these defective sacrifices are coming as a consequence of them not receiving God's love and his, his mercy. And the result of that, right, is empty religion. They don't give up making sacrifices. They keep doing it, but they just do it in a half-hearted way. And God... really doesn't like that. (laughs) Like throughout the Bible, God just really doesn't like it. In in verse 10, he says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Like just shut the whole, just shut the temple down. Don't do it like this because it's not ultimately about the sacrifices actually. Listen to what the Old Testament, Old Testament prophet Hosea says in Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God, that's relational knowledge, rather than burnt offerings. God hates empty religion because it misses the whole point. Right? He wants to pour out His love on you in such a way that you're so filled with his love and mercy that you, you just can't you can't help but but praise him authentically. Right? And it's really this invitation to enter into God's triune life. The Father has loved the Son for all of eternity, and he he's just constantly thinking about how can I make much of my Son, the Lord Jesus? and Jesus is the same way. It's not compulsion for them. It's not like, well, I ought to make much of my son. No. And neither is it for Jesus. He's not saying, "Well, you know, my father said I ought to make much of him." You know, no, it's like, "Man, how how can I make much of my father?" And, and this is an invitation into that where you're if he's pouring out you're receiving his love. He said, I love you based on promises to your forefather. I am for you. I defend you against your enemies. I love you. And you receive that, and, and to the point of saying, Okay, what? Like, I need to give the best of my flock, the best of my heart. What, what's the best, the best that I can bring to acknowledge both my, my sinfulness? Like, I don't deserve to come into the presence of God. God's holiness and my, my adoration for him. And it's not drudgery. Like, if you know God and his magnificence and, and, and his, you don't even, you don't have to tell. Okay. The best meal I ever had was on the, on the shores of Spain. I saw the fishermen bring the fish that we were going to eat into the shore. Like, I'm watching it. And, and it's illegal now, but they, 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 they fried up these little bitty fish. And, dude, those things were freaking amazing. Like, like it's just like the best tasting food I ever had. And I, when I came back, I was telling everybody about this fish that I ate. Now, did somebody say, no, when you get to the United States... You ought to tell people about the fish that you ate in Spain. But nobody said that. Nobody had to tell me that, right? Because it's like, this is amazing, right? And so the same thing with God. When he, he pours out his love into you and you really experience his love and his mercy, you can't help but say, oh my goodness, like Jesus saved me. I was going in the opposite direction, I was addicted to all these different things. Like, I did the wrong thing in different iterations all the time. Like, the good things I did for selfish reasons. And God saves you? Right? It's like, how can I, man, how can I praise this God who's so good who gives his son? Right? So that's like the core issue that he's getting at with the children of Israel. Right? The real issue is not these defective sacrifices. That's just the symptom of a greater disease. Right? Hearts that aren't receiving his, his love and, and mercy, who don't understand that they're so sinful that they're not, they couldn't come into the presence of God. But God is so loving that he's coming near to them in the temple and providing this way for them to have a relationship. Like they're missing all of that. So with all that in consideration... Let's now think about the final question. So, what is the solution? What's the solution to half hearted worship? Right? Because you might say, on the surface reading uh, of this, you might say, like, well, seems like God doesn't like animals with blemishes. That's what it seems like. So, we don't want him mad at us. So, how about we just, you know, form a committee? Let's talk about it. How about we? offer animals without blemishes, right? That'll solve it, right? But that solution doesn't go near deep enough, right? Because that's not the issue, really. That's just the symptom. It's like if we just kept giving back rubs to Brett when he has cancer or aspirin to somebody who has a broken leg. Like, that doesn't go deep enough. Half-hearted worship comes as a result of of not receiving all that God wants to to give us. So how could that be solved by changing your behavior? Oh, we'll just change our behavior. That makes no sense. No, what God is saying is like, no, I love you so much. Come to me. Come to me. Turn to me and ask me, God, open up my heart to be able to receive your love and your mercy. Because God has shown his love, but he showed it to the Israelites when he, de- he warded off the Edomites who were oppressing them. And God has shown us his love by defeating sin, death, and the devil through Jesus Christ, which, by the way, all three of those entities oppress you. Right? And God defeats them through Jesus Christ, who, by the way... Is the ultimate high priest who gives himself as a sacrifice, not reservedly, not half-heartedly, he gave his whole self. And guess what? He is the perfect sacrifice without blemish. Listen to what Peter says in First Peter chapter one, verses 18 through 19. It says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. We're reading about some of that now. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. That's an interesting way to talk about silver or gold. Like, think about like the wrapper around your hamburger. That's silver and gold in comparison of what we're going to talk about right now. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb. With out blemish or spot. This is the reason why we have to bring sacrifice. These animals have to have no blemishes. God's not against, I mean, he is in a way, but he has no particular beef with blindness or lameness. This is all a symbol meant to point to the sinlessness of Christ. Now, they didn't, like, they didn't see the big picture, right? And so what do they do? They roll their eyes. What weariness. And, and, and you know, this kind of hit home for me this week where I was just thinking like, man, there, there are things that God prohibits and there are things that God requires of me. Right? And I'm like, oh, man, like, why does this matter? Is it possible, Andrew, <laughs> that you don't have the whole picture? Like, if, if God is who you say he is, and that means way, way bigger than Andrew DeCanter, who lives on a tiny blue planet, who's only lived for 43, 44 years, something, almost 44 years, right? Like, do you think that the infinite God who made the whole universe, you think that he might have a better idea of what the big picture is than you? (laughs) Well, of course he does. And maybe he doesn't explain everything to you because maybe you wouldn't even understand it. Like, maybe you wouldn't even be able to understand it. Maybe it's not so much that he's even withholding it from you, although he has the right to do that, Maybe he just knows you wouldn't even be able to receive it. And he's just saying, look, but I'm a good father. Right? We're going to cross this street. There's lots of cars. You know, you're three years old. Hold my hand. I don't want I'm a big boy. No, no. like hold, hold my hand. I know what's better. Right? Will, you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And that's part of what's going on. God shows his love by giving Jesus Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice without blemish. And on the basis of that sacrifice of Jesus, and this is wild, that means that those of us who are united to Jesus by faith, we become priests. And we offer sacrifices. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 5. This is Peter talking to Christians. And he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But it's only insofar as we embrace the love of God through Jesus and his gospel that we will make sacrifices that are deserving of God, that that, that are acceptable to God. It's, It's only then that we will present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You've got to be filled up with God's love for that to even be possible. It's the only way that we'll ever give a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name, Hebrews 13, 15. So if you've come into the room with a half-hearted worship problem, which I would venture to say, if you say I didn't come into the room that way, then that's another issue, right? But if you come into the room with a half-hearted worship problem, there's good news, that God can can heal that. And the point isn't like, you know what? Uh, We're going to sing some worship songs here in a little bit. I'm going to fake being more excited about it. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're not talking about faking it more. We're talking about saying, like, you know what? I've been saying I have a back problem, but I actually have cancer. It's, like, riddled through my whole body. And God, can you bring, bring your loving radiation that sometimes hurts, like the flesh has to die even, to pour in your love into me? Oh, open, your, open my heart to receive more of your love and mercy so that I can embrace the Lord Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He is a sinless sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. Today we celebrate communion. And it's pretty fitting, isn't it, that we would remember his perfect Sacrifice at a time like this. So, if you take the bread, we take it together, acknowledging that we can't live and live unless Jesus comes and lives on the inside. And Jesus has created a community with his precious blood. Through His blood, through His death on the cross, His body broken, we become one body in Jesus. Let's take together. The juice represents His blood shed for you, by which He purchased the promises of the new covenant where He would write the law of God on your heart, that actually He Himself would come and live inside of you, forgive you of your sins and cause you to walk in His ways. Let's take and drink. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Jesus. Help us, God. We're so easily discouraged. We're weary, God. We bring our burdens to you, God. Help us to find our rest in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.